I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hello and welcome to a year-end edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I am Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined as I am weekly by Inquirer columnist Mike Sielski. And Mike, today we are going to look back, we are going to look forward. Uh, this is what we do on New Year's Day. I we're, sit down we're with dual my, threats. Yeah. I sit down with my journal <laughs> and I say, Dave, this is how you will become a better person this year. And these are all the things you won't do again that you did wrong last year. What did you do wrong in the past year? Well, uh, every Wednesday I recorded this podcast with you. Yeah, so that's right at the top it of the starts, list. I think it starts at fundamental things like that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's what this week is for. It's a yeah. week of reflection, would you not say? I, I would agree. I think the um, that's the point of the week, especially when you've got like you know Christmas and New Year's falling on the weekends uh, like this. It's, it'll, it's nice and tidy, and everybody, most people are home from work, even though we aren't. And they sit back and they relax and they polish off the leftovers and finish the last bit of wine and beer from the holiday parties mm. and they, they reflect on the year. You're making me kind of hungry. I did not eat lunch. One of my weekly conundrums is whether to, whether to eat lunch before this or after this. You know, I need, a, I See, need I, to be in a good internal state yeah, uh, for yeah, podcasting. You don't, you don't want Agita while you're actually talking I on don't. the podcast. That would so. be a, is, is Agita the name of a band? I feel like that would be a great Should 80s. Be. Asia was. Like Asia was the name of a great band. Or a Slayer. Agita. Agita. <laughs> anyway, we're going to look back at the journal entries, you could say, of all of the movers and shakers in what was a moving and shaking year uh, in Philadelphia sports. I mean, think about all the things that, that happened this year. Sam Bratt, the Eagles had two starting quarterbacks, got rid of one of them, mm-hmm. gave gave the one they got rid of $14 million. They <laughs> That is incredible. That is incredible. To they, think. Fire, they, they, they did not technically fire... A head coach within the calendar year, but they hired a new one, mm-hmm. um, and they still had technically had two head coaches because Pat Shermer was right. the interim head coach on January third when the Giants played the Eagles. I mean, just think about where we were last year and where we are now, and all that has happened. The Flyers made the playoffs. Villanova won uh, a national championship. Um, in, in well, let me ask you this: What was your favorite? Before we um, okay, you know, we're going to issue report cards, year-end report cards for Doug Peterson. Jeffrey Lurie, Harry Roseman, Ron Hextall, Dave Hextall, Jerry Colang- or, uh Brian Colangelo. The family Colangelo. <laughs> Brett Brown. Uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about whether they should whether they where passed. They looked, yeah. Did they pass? Did they fail? Where are they headed? That sort of stuff. And where will they be five years from now? Right. We might play some Sarah McLaughlin in the background. She's a heavy listen, yo. She is. She is a heavy listen. She likes cats too. Yeah. Very much. She wants you to save them. Uh, anyway, so what, what was you your? But, 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 but before we get into that, what was your? You know, what was your moment uh, of the year in Philadelphia sports? Well, for Philadelphia sports, I, I think that that answer is relatively obvious. I think Villanova winning the national championship was the best moment. Now, that always comes with the caveat of Philadelphia is not a college basketball town. First and foremost, it's funny. Um, Jonathan Tannenwald, our former producer on this podcast, uh, did a very nice job. I, I consider him, in my heart, he is producer emeritus. Producer, emeritus. Okay. That's a good way to look at it. Um, anyway, the little voice you used to hear on this podcast from time to time 
did a terrific job of putting together on philly.com kind of a top 10 list of the big stories in Philadelphia sports. And he's taken some, um, some guff from people who uh, think that Villanova's national championship should have been the number one overall story. John had uh, Carson Wentz's arrival as the number one overall story. Now, in, any, in just about any other city, uh, a Division I men's college basketball team winning a national championship would clearly be the number one story of the year. But this is Philadelphia. And for all the people who are kind of um, uh, weighing in on in the comments section of that story that John put together saying it should have been Villanova, it should have been Villanova, uh, Murph, you and I have discussed this, that is not reflected in uh, clicks on Villanova stories on Philly.com. It is not reflected in talk radio discussion. I would argue it's not even really reflected in water cooler discussion. Um uh, you know, general day-to-day talk of sports around Philadelphia. So as cool as that moment was, and it was a great thing to cover, it was it was cool to be there to see Chris Jenkins hit that shot. Um, you know, it really was a, a fun ride to cover. I, you know, and I, for me, it's the number one thing in, that happened in sports this year. I can understand why people would look at that and go, yeah, come on, the Eagles got a guy who could be a franchise quarterback. That's clearly the best thing that happened. Well, you have to keep in mind, we're talking – in abstract terms that we're defining as we go along. Sure. So it all depends on what you consider best. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, was Villanova's national championship the most impressive achievement as it collectively, as a Philadelphia mm-hmm. sports team accomplished this year? Were they the team of the year? Yes. Sure. I would say that. Mm-hmm. But if you were to ask a representative sample of the Delaware Valley, whether they would trade Villanova's championship for Carson, or would they trade Carson Wentz for Villanova's championship? Mm -hmm. I suspect the majority would say, no thanks, we'd rather have Carson Wentz than a Villanova championship. Yeah, if you have to choose between one or the other, you would take Carson Wentz. I get that. Um, I think the other dimension that that has to be part of the Nova story, though, is the fact that they had gotten bounced out so early in the tournament for so long. And it would have been one thing if, um, maybe this is a distinction without a difference in the grand scheme of things, but it would have been one thing if Nova had been, um, you know, a total kind of coming out of nowhere story. Um, They weren't. They had been a really good team for a while who had been getting bounced in the first and second rounds. And so the fact that they got past that hurdle um, and then went on and won the championship game in the way that they did, I think, to me, that adds a, a dimension of fun and excitement and um, makes the narrative better. Uh, but as I said, you know, more people are Eagles fans around here. I get, you know, I get that. And so, um, you know, and they have a, that franchise has a greater hold on the civic sports psyche than any other franchise. So um, I'm not going to argue with you if you say, hey, the story of the year was the Eagles getting a franchise quarterback. I, I get it. This is a very impressive package. I'm looking at it. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, I'm, do you, uh, what do you? Yeah. I'm not talking. I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at uh, the package that uh, John. I think you just gave us our soundbite for next year. Yeah, yeah. I'm we not we even, can. You we know can, what? We can bounce Ruben Amaro out of the open and just go with that. That's, that's I'm just fine. gonna let people imagine what Mike Sielski was doing as I to prompt that comment. <laughs> um, no, the the package that Jonathan Tannenwald and Jared Whalen put together on philly.com that that mike referenced um first of all i was impressed that it wasn't a slideshow because that was i was scared of that <laughs> yeah no we they did not do so that. props for uh, putting it all on one page look sharp i like the links to the story 
Uh, let's run them down real quick. Fly, number 10, Flyers build a young core. Mm-hmm. Um, number 9, Penn State and Temple's football title runs. I think I'm more impressed that Tannenwald did not put that at number 1. <laughs> hey, I'm impressed number 1 is not it doesn't have anything to do with Kevin Durant. Put it this know? way. I'm impressed anytime someone agrees with roughly my opinion, and I mm-hmm. think this is the way I would rank them. Okay. Number 8, Doug Peterson's turbulent first year. I'm not sure I would call it turbulent, but... Uh, you know, that's a big story. Sixers draft Ben Simmons at number one. That I'd put that a little higher. Ryan Howard's long farewell, number six. Fair. Number five, Ed Snyder's death. Might be might need to go a little higher. Yeah, I would th- I mean he was such so such an influence on the Although at, at the same the state. time, if you're talking about stuff that shaped the conversation, I'm not sure I could put any one of these below that. Number four, Sam Hinkie leaves for better and worse. And keep in mind you can you can check out Jonathan Tannenwald's top ten on philly.com backslash sports. Uh, Sam Hickey leaves number four. Number three, Joel Embiid. I, yeah. That's fair. Number two, Villanova wins national title. Mm-hmm. And number one, Carson Wentz takes center stage. I agree with all of that. Yeah, I, like I said, I, you know, to me, personal preference, Villanova, you know, it's a national championship in, as I said, in j- virtually any other city or part of the country, that would be humongous. It just so happens you know, it's you, Philadelphia. You also wear sweaters over collared shirts so you would pick villanova you wear sweaters over collared shirts too yeah but i wear hard i wear like uh you wear the same shirt you wear villanova sweaters i wear like uh like uh, uh first of all i wear like the art institute sweaters i i define a villanova sweater as a sweater with the arms tied over draped over the shoulders and then could tied in the front i do not wear sweaters like that that's because you're always wearing them well yeah I, I'm, a, I'm a sweater guy. i like your style i'm a sweater guy it's rubbed off on me a little bit thank you so let's. We should have had Tannenwald on. We should have, but we didn't. That's the only time I will ever say that in my entire life. <laughs> Just kidding, Jonathan. Great job on the package. Yeah, it was good. So, so to you, Wentz is the is the moment of the year, the the drafting, the 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 machinations to move up and get him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably where we should start our. Um, yeah, I think. Look, the quarterback is the most important position in sports. Mm-hmm. Team sports, at least. And it's the most difficult to obtain. Would you agree with that? Agreed. No? Agreed. Okay. The Eagles obtained a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Therefore, that would be that was the most important thing that happened in Philadelphia sports. As long okay. as you agree that Carson Wentz is that quarterback, do you agree? I, I think I, I think he has the potential to be uh, a very very good quarterback, possibly an elite slash transcendent one. Um, I would have needed more evidence of that during his rookie season um, to put it, you know, clearly above Villanova or even, I would argue, even above Joel Embiid um, because, A, the nature of basketball is different from the nature of football. Obviously, one player can make a tremendous difference, uh, even in a way that a quarterback might not necessarily. And secondly, as good as Wentz has been as an NFL rookie quarterback, and I think he's really been very good, all things considered, Embiid has shown you why you know, the Sixers were willing to wait for him for two years and say, trust us, if he gets on the floor with, his health, with healthy feet, you know, you're going to be wowed by him because he has been that. I mean, he just has been great while he's been out there. So, um, you know, again, I don't mean to take anything away from Wentz or minimize the value of a franchise quarterback. I just feel like Embiid has given us more evidence that he can, he's going to be a transcendent player 
uh, than Wentz has. Why do you hate Carson Wentz? Next question. <laughs> because I love Sam Bradford. Haven't you been listening to this podcast and reading my columns? All right. Well, let's let's start then with Carson Wentz. I was actually going to go in the reverse. Okay. Because the Carson Wentz, to me, and all of its implications and variables that you have to consider, mm-hmm. because it's not as easy as saying, like, I look at everything in economic terms. Like, there is no absolute, there's no vacuum where you can say, was Carson Wentz the right move? And say, yes, Carson Wentz is a quarterback and he's a good quarterback, therefore it was the right move. There's Everything has a price, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And we need to keep in mind that the price the Eagles paid right. for Carson Wentz is a, a very significant price. Sure. And, and it, I was reminded of this last night as I was going through, I wrote something for uh, the paper in philly.com today that kind of, I started out with the thesis that going into writing the column that the Eagles are not as far behind as one might think, and I was going to use their performance against the rest of the NFC East and kind of the mm-hmm. the, the 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 small variance between the top and the bottom of the NFC as as you know mm-hmm. one of the bright spots. But the more you look at it, and you, the more you look at their salary cap situation compared to the rest of the division, mm-hmm. the more that you look at their you know draft, you know right their history performance and what they, yeah, over the last ha- yeah. over the last couple of years. Um, you know they're pretty pretty far behind so it's you know everything's on a uh, relative spectrum i guess you could say mm-hmm. so i was going to start with andy reed and, and howie roseman but let's start with wentz and go bottom okay. up okay. um what what is the probability in your mind that he a is that reaches that transcendent level i mean what have you have you seen anything to suggest that that is in his that is a reasonable expectation in his future you know if you were a betting man where would you put him in five years and where do you see kind of the next three years showing up? Pass, you know, did he pass his rookie year? Is he trending up or down? Where is he going to end up? Okay, he passed his rookie year, I think. I don't think anybody can argue that. Um, and I think it's, you know, if you want to assign a grade, I think it's a high pass. I think it's a, you know, B, B minus sort of thing. Um, obviously, and I'm, and it would take, you know, a... So what you're saying is he's too far, too smart for LaSalle. Oh, clearly. Oh, God, that's not even a question. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, on a scale where it would take you know, uh, a Super Bowl run from a rookie quarterback to garner an A or an A+. I think Carson Wentz has been a solid B, um, you know, has performed better than one would think a quarterback out of North Dakota State with relatively minimal amount of college experience could have performed. Um, Well, here's a good way to put it, actually. Andrew Luck, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Am I missing any? Let's just say, let's take those three. Okay. Where does Carson Wentz's rookie season fall? Fall. I, compared I, to their rookie season, who would you rather have after their rookie year? I guess is what I'm saying. Rank, I think rank af- them one through four. I think after their rookie years, I would put Wentz second to Luck. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, I would argue, like I think people dismiss Jameis Winston a little too quickly. Um, I, I mean, I like him. I no, like I know him a lot, but I, but I could see I could see an argument there. But I, you know, if I was drafting, if we were redrafting, you know, even right now, I would take Carson Wentz. I, I would think about it. Mm-hmm. I would do a lot of scouting. Yeah, but I would take Carson Wentz either second or third with Jameis Winston and Mariota fourth. But the, mm-hmm. the fact is, upside wise, I think Carson Wentz is clearly number two mm-hmm. behind Andrew Luck. Yeah, I, that, that's about where I put him. So is he trending upward? As long as he stays upright, he's trending upward. Um, and I think that depends, um, you know, to a great degree on whether another guy we'll get to on this list, Doug Peterson, ends up trending upward. Um, you know, no more 
double reverses where the franchise quarterback is throwing the lead block. Let's go right in, Doug Peterson. Okay. Take it away. To, to me, Doug is... Beautiful. <sighs> Flax in hair. Yeah, Richard Gere-esque uh, when it comes to hair. Um, it started to get a little droopy. At well, some after, point during the after season, after sixteen or seventeen weeks, that's going to happen. I know, but I mean, it's kind of like you know, seeing the 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 before and after pictures of of the president when he takes yeah, office, you know what? and when he finishes his term. You know, they start out and they don't have any gray hair, and they're bright eyed and bushy tailed, and by the end, they're just beaten down. But I think, gray. but I thought that you know, I think he kind of like hit the rookie wall, maybe uh, follically speaking, <laughs> because. Or, or he switched conditioners. Could be. Or started yeah. conditioning. He went from pert to uh, head and shoulders. Because maybe. then, he, I mean, he went through that rough stretch, and then all of a sudden, my goodness. Yeah. Like, right around Cincinnati, yeah, I, the hair was back. I, I, don't, I, I don't have Doug Peterson trending upward, but I'm not sure I have him trending downward necessarily either. I, I think he was such a, a blank slate coming into the year in terms of who he was going to be. The presumption was that he's just going to be Andy Reid 2.0, um, and I don't know that he's been that. Um, but by the same token, I don't like everything I've seen from him either. Um, what don't I, you like? Uh, I don't like... Here's one thing I don't like. I, and, and it's it's captured by um, the the Wentz blocking play against the Giants last Thursday night. I, I, th- I do think he displays so, you know a quality that I think afflicts a lot of football coaches. Um, and let's call it for the, the sake of argument, the any given Sunday way of thinking, which is like Pacino says in that speech, the heart over the head. Yeah. All that matters is the six inches in front of your face. And, and while initially we all kind of thought he was kind of calculating and taking the big picture into perspective with some of these decisions, and maybe he is, I do think at his core, he's like in the moment, snap decision, I'm going to trust my football guys to make a play. And, and that's why the Wentz thing bothered me as, as much as it did. It was like, you can't make that decision. You you can pl- you should play Carson Wentz, and he'll display his toughness in a million different ways by taking hits in the pocket and and running for a first down and and a hundred different ways. You don't need to have him be the lead blocker on a double reverse five plays after he's just come out of the concussion protocol. But to Doug, all he could see was well, it's a good play call and it requires a football player to make a block, and Carson Wentz is a football player. So that leads me to question, like, what it really is his thinking on some of these things? Is it, you know, I'm taking all these various factors into consideration, or is it just, like, meathead football coach, like, I'm going to ask my guys to do this, and they're football players, so they'll do it, which, to a certain extent, has its place, but not with the franchise quarterback. Yeah, and I think... I think he shows it. I think he, I, I think Peterson wears the meathead a little more on his sleeve than Reed did, which mm-hmm. is why he kind of gets the. You know, Reed never got the. Right. People think Doug, some people think Doug Peterson is a dummy. You know. Yeah, I don't think he's dumb. I just think he's steeped in football culture and doesn't hide it as well as some a lot as a lot of other right. guys might. We're, I think he just. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. It's one. It's one of the. It's one of the things that's going to be interesting to follow in his development as a, as a coach because Andy Reid never got – we never questioned that about Andy Reid even though he made a lot of really dumb, yeah. like inexplicable you – know, I mean like that – like calling that play comes from the same well. Mm-hmm. The, the double reverse comes from the same well as having Ronnie Brown throw it, yeah. you know, inside the three-yard line. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas I'm just not – we don't we just don't say that the source of Andy Reid's well is like – Right, wanting to be a meathead. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, put I it this way: it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's Doug Peterson saying, "Oh, Carson Wentz is a tough guy; he can be a lead blocker," 
or just Doug Peterson not thinking about, hey, if I call a double reverse here, that's going to put my quarterback out front with the potential to throw a block. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And and I want to see more from Doug in that regard. Like I, I go back and forth about him because I do see some very positive things um, with what he's done this year with, you know, play calling uh, tendencies with, um, you know, some of his personality traits, uh, you know, but I also see the potential for people within the locker room questioning him. I mean, Malcolm Jenkins has done that. Malcolm Jenkins has done it both to the media. He's done it on his Twitter account. I mean, he, you know, what did he say on Twitter? Well, with just a day or two after the giants game, he went on Twitter and say, Hey, you know, CJ Wentz, which is Wentz's Twitter account, you know, love the desire, love the toughness, but we need you for the long term, man. Don't be throwing blocks. Yeah. Interesting. So I missed that. This is what I don't. This is what I get for not following athletes or celebrities yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> um, so that's there's the potential for that too. I mean, look, guys know football players for all the you know negative stereotypes about them are smart. They know when a guy knows what he's doing. They know when a guy is making decisions that are going to benefit the team or that are right for the team. Um, and I think that's the potential, you know. F- big fault in what Doug is doing is that he's going to start making decisions and guys are going to go, wait a minute, what's, is this really what we ought to be doing? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and I agree that could have been the case with the, I think there were probably some similar questions about Andy Reid, you know, early on in his career. I think my, the thing that concerns me most about Doug Peterson is the game management. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's one of those things where if he's a good enough play caller and the players you know, he gets enough out of his players. You just kind of have to take it. And yeah. there's no such thing as a perfect coach except for Bill Belichick. Um, you know, so I would say I would give him a pass. Mm. And I would probably argue. I would care about that enough that I would argue people who tried to fail him, because I think there's a lot of people in the city who would try to fail him. Oh, I agree. I, think, and I agree. I, I just think that you can't discount the fact that he he has six wins with a potential seventh with this roster given all the things mm-hmm. that, that have, and they've been competitive. Yeah. Like teams were like the Eagles were supposed to be the ones getting blown out 34 to three. They didn't get blown out except for that Cincinnati game really. Mm-hmm. And that first Washington game they got, you know, yeah. they got manhandled a little bit. Yeah. But they were in pretty much every other game. Yeah. And you know, and I think we, we've gotten to the point in sports coverage where, um, and certainly this is the mentality in a lot of, you know, on, from a lot of people in the sit in this city is that one mistake must mean the guy is a moron, right. you know, like, look, I think that was a really egregious mistake that Doug made during the Giants game. I think, you know, there should have been somebody on the sideline or somebody in his head saying, Doug, what are you doing? You can't call this play. Um, and maybe there was, and we don't know about it. But uh, that doesn't mean that he can't, you know, then go back and say, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And, um, and it doesn't mean you fire a guy or that he's, you know, deemed himself incompetent uh, just by making that single mistake. Do you think he's here in three years no I don't I think and the reason for that has less to do with him than it does with two of the other people we're going to talk about Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie I think here's what I think is going to happen I think they're going to go out in this offseason and try to get quote-unquote weapons for him I think that's part of the reason this Deshaun Jackson chatter has picked up steam uh, is that they know he's probably going to be available, that the Redskins probably aren't going to re-sign him, that he would lend a dimension uh, that the Eagles need on offense, speed-wide receiver. They could probably get him for a decent price, and he'd love to come back, and it would be a PR move, wonderful PR move. Um, I think there are going to be moves like that under the guise of, okay, 
We feel good about where Wentz is. We know the holes in the roster we need to fill. We're going to go out and fill them. Let's let's build this thing right now. And if it doesn't work, if it's another seven and nine season, if it's an eight and eight season without the playoffs, uh, I think Doug is gone. I do, and maybe Howie too. And uh, well, let's talk about Howie. Okay. What do you think? Well, I, mean, I what do think, you think I think I think the jury is out, but I am not optimistic. Um, I think. What what the what the last five years have shown us is that neither Howie nor Jeffrey Lurie really minds shaking up a roster. What they mind is when Chip Kelly does it in the way that they don't want done, or they that they think should not be done. Um, they did it in 2011. They did it in 2014 when it was Chip doing it, and then they did it this year. And I think that. This is simply a matter of as long as we get to do it and we get to make the moves we think are best, then we're okay with you know, throwing the cards up into the air and seeing where they land and trying to win again. I think they're paying an awful lot of lip service to the core that they have, as such as it is. Um, the problem is, it seems to me, just based on what's happened this past season— they signed a good bit of that core just because they were guys who were already here as opposed to guys who you'd really want to go forward with as core but, talented players. But see, now that gets back then to the reality of the NFL and why the Eagles are in I such know, dire straits, yeah. which is you got to play the hand you draft, essentially. Yeah. Like, if you, like, who would play tight end this year if you did not re-sign Zach Ertz? Those guys, like Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz, to me, are, are the... Similar. Are, are emblematic of drafting and developing and re-signing players because Travis Kelsey to me is clearly the better tight end. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, I mean, he had 160 yards, two touchdowns mm-hmm. the other night. Um, like he's a potential game-changing athlete. Just his body type, mm-hmm. you know, his, his toughness. He, he he's more like Gronk than Zach Ertz, is. right? Like yeah. on the spectrum of. Solid, you know, Brent Selleck to Rob Gronkowski. I think Zach Ertz straddles, you know, leans more towards Selleck. Towards Selleck, whereas Travis Kelsey is, you know, significantly more towards Gronk, the Gronk end of the spectrum. Okay, um, like a player your offense runs through essentially. Mm-hmm. Zach Ertz is not that guy. I think I think we can all finally admit that, right? Yeah, sure. He's a, I I like him, but I don't have any illusions about what he is. He's a solid. He's a solid tight end, period, end of story. Solid pass-catching tight end, period. Um, you know, but I think your point is well taken, and I understand where you're going with that. Well, here we go. So 84, so this, this is Travis Kelsey's numbers mm-hmm. this year. 84 catches, mm-hmm. 1,117 yards, and four touchdowns. Like, that's, that's, that's literally terrific. two that's of, terrific. That's yeah. literally two of Zach Ertz's seasons, because he has, like, 65 catches for 620 yards and two touchdowns. And now some of that, obviously, is... You know, Kelsey has, mm-hmm. you know, the better supporting cast. Someone argued the better head coach. But Kelsey drafted in the third round that year, 2013. Mm-hmm. Zach Ertz drafted in the second, second round that year. Yeah. Both signed essentially the same contract this offseason. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think Ertz signed his first, and then Kelsey essentially yeah. signed. And Jordan Reed signed the same contract. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it works in the NFL. Like, you can't say... Is Zach Ertz, you can't necessarily say, it's not, is Zach Ertz worth this money or should we go spend that money on somebody better? It's, 
is Zach Ertz worth this money or should we start over again and reinvest that money somewhere else and, and draft a new tight end? Because the, the only it's a zero-sum thing. Zach Ertz either goes to free agency or you don't have a tight end. Travis I, Kelsey's not out there for you to sign. I get it. I, I, I wouldn't because you didn't draft him. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily take issue with the extension to Zach Ertz. I would take, ex, take exception with the... A, the extension for Vinny Curry. Yes. Okay. And B, I would question, as I did in a column last week, while even though I like Rodney McLeod and I think he's a, he's a very good safety, was it necessary to go spend that money on that on that position when you could have spent it at cornerback? And that's I thought that was a good column. It's, a, know, vi- it's a viable question. You know, because cornerback is inherently a more important position nine times out of ten than safety. Yes, you may have a Brian Dawkins. Yes, you may have a Earl Thomas or a Cam Chancellor. You know, you may have a Troy Palomalu who is so elite that it can he can you can put, you know, two traffic cones at a cornerback and it doesn't matter. This guy will cover up for them. Malcolm Jenkins was a was a very good safety, is a very good safety, um, and Ronnie McLeod is a very good safety. They're not good enough to help you that much on the outside when you have Leotis McKelvin, when you have Nolan Carroll, and when you have Jalen Mills. So that would have been my issue with the the building around this. I think court. Le- Leotis McKelvin is more like not a traffic cone, but one of those slow stop signs that you spin yeah. around, <laughs> and like the tra- the traffic on one side of the yeah. street goes. Uh, Nolan Carroll, I think, is more like a one of those 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 orange and white barricades. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the barrels. Yes. Uh, I feel you. I feel you. But, but Jalen Mills is a traffic cone. Yeah, but that's just it. I mean, that that's that's my issue with with Howie Roseman is that, yeah, some of those moves are made out of necessity because, you know, you have to weigh the cost-benefit of how much are we going to upgrade at this position if we don't keep this guy? Uh, you know, and Zach Ertz, I would argue, sure. You know, are you going to find somebody better than Zach Ertz? Yeah, you also might, you know, run across a needle in a haystack um, because the the odds of that happening are almost as good. Right. Um, because Zach Ertz is a viable professional pass-catching tight end in the NFL. That's fine. Vinny Curry, you didn't have to do that. Rodney McLeod, as good as he is, you didn't necessarily have no, to but, do that. No, but I don't think Rodney McLeod's necessarily... I don't think that's that's a, the choice you face because I think you got to keep in mind the other guy that they're just... People are going to... When they look at the Eagle salary cap situation... Oh, God, yeah. They're going to... They're going to say... Like, we could have signed Janoris Jenkins for what we're paying Chase Daniel. Yeah. I mean, you've got $16.5 million just in Vinny Curry and, and Chase Daniel. Daniel. See, and that's the thing about free agency is that's what you have to avoid, and it's why teams get into trouble. It's why that 2012 team got into trouble. Like, the free agent market, by definition, is a couple guys who snuck into free agency like Emmanuel Sanders or, you know, guys who happen to be on really good teams that couldn't afford to keep everybody. Mm-hmm. But those are few and far between, whereas the vast majority of them are people other people are moving on from. Right. You know, so that's, you know, there's just not enough... It's like the Phillies this year in this free agent market. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just not enough players for you to spend money on. Right. Right. The problem is the Eagles spent money on players they aren't necessarily better than. You know, do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like paying yeah. Zach Ertz six and a half million dollars. And Ertz, the Ertz contract is, you know, whatever. I mean, look. I think people, are, you're going to look. Would I? I think I might ha- rather have Pierre Garcon this off season for one year than Zach Ertz for one year at six. If, if, if Pierre mm-hmm. Garcon gets six and a half million dollars, but I'm not going to quibble with Zach Ertz. The question is, would you rather have? You know, is what Chase Daniel brings to that quarterback room worth, worth what he's worth being paid? Yeah. The same amount that 
you know, Stefan Gilmore would bring to your defensive backfield at cornerback. You yeah. know, those are the, those are the kind of cost benefit analyses that we're going to have this offseason. And it's I don't know that it's going to look pretty because I, I don't know that the Eagles are going to have much money to go out and give Doug Peterson playmakers. No, I mean, they like I said, I'm, I'm the reason I think that they're going to do that is because I've talked to somebody within the organization who suggests that. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to be possible. It doesn't mean even if it's possible, it's going to work because their track record in this regard is not great. Um, you know, I mean, they went out and signed big money, you know, paid big money for Brandon Brooks, for instance. And I guess they were, I don't know if they were unaware or just thought they could, you know, manage the fact that the guy seems to have, you know, an anxiety problem. Um, and I, I don't mean that to like besmirch Brandon Brooks character. No. You know, I just mean that he missed two games this year you know, because of this thing that either they were unaware of or were wrong about whether they and he could handle it to stay in the lineup for 16 games. Yeah, I mean, again, Brandon Brooks is a good concrete example of kind of that abstract concept I was talking about, that anybody you're signing in free agency is by definition somebody that somebody else decided was not worth the money that you're giving them. Somebody who has already had a five-year look, four- or five-year look at this player. So Brandon Brooks, the Texans said, well... We would rather we don't think Brandon Brooks is worth the money that you're going to pay him. We think it's worth more elsewhere, mm-hmm. and clearly stuff like that factors into the yeah. valuation of him. Yeah. Um, um, and now we have and with respect to Howie, we haven't even touched on the question of are is he going to be able to make? Is he and his staff going to be able to make the kind of draft picks that the franchise needs to make to get them to the place they want to get to? Um, which is an open question. I think we both feel better about the situation because Joe Douglas is there. Um, we, we like him. We think he's a competent, you know, sharp football guy, but that's still an open question as to whether Howie is going to, you know, avoid the kind of drafts that they had in 2010 and 2011 that pretty much sank the franchise for the next few years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Howie, we just don't have enough information to give a grade on a pass fail on him. Yeah. Cause I, I almost think that, um, you know, Lurie, I don't know if he's implementing his own agenda or he's implementing Lurie's agenda, right. but I think Lurie failed with huge passing color. Can you fail with passing colors? Yeah. <laughs> or, or fail with flying colors? Fail with failing colors or Can something. Can you fly with passing colors? I don't know. Um, again, when you look at the Carson Wentz thing, and you look, well, we can kind of see this is why they're all tied together. Like, I'm looking at a guy named Dak Prescott right now and his line. Never heard of him. Uh, you know, he leads the NFL, or uh, he has by far had the best rookie season numerically, statistically, uh, of any of these players. I would still argue what Andrew Luck accomplished was more impressive than what Dallas accomplished because he took the Colts to 11-5. and five After having been 1-15. and 15. After having been 1-15 and 15 and behind, you know, an awful offensive line, yada, yada, yada. That being said, you can't separate a quarterback from his offensive line, and it is what it is. Joe right. Montana had a good offensive line. Right. Tom Brady's had good offensive lines. Um, and, and, you know, Zach Prescott... 68% completion percentage, 23 touchdowns, four interceptions, a 105.6 rating, eight yards per attempt. Just to give you some idea, Carson Wentz, who who ranks pretty much in uh, right around the median among rookie quarterbacks in all these categories, um, he had a 78.2 rating, 14 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 62 uh, completion percentage, and 6.2 yards per attempt, all significantly lower than Dak Prescott. Does that A, does that color your grade on any one of these characters involved in bringing Carson Wentz to Philly? Because to me it does, just in the sense that it shows 
that the strat the almost laughable strategy at least the laughable defense of the strategy that the Eagles gave to people when they traded all this for Carson Wentz was, well, of course you're going to, you know, if this guy is a franchise quarterback, of course you're going to do this because quarterback's the most important position in sports. And we said it at the time, and I think the Dak Prescott thing bore it out that, yeah, it's the most important position in sports, but there's a reason why, there's a re- like, it's a mar- there's a market. Yeah. You know, whatever price you end up paying for him is more than anybody else was willing to pay. Right. So, like, everyone else is not the dummy necessarily. It's just, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know. No, I, th- I think it does bear it out. Like, you're the one who's valuing the quarterback position at that. And the argument is lots of teams have won Super Bowls with quarterbacks that they did not inquire by trading all of these assets for. And Dak Prescott is kind of the case in point where you can build a team to make your quarterback that you actually draft better you know, like maybe like Dak Prescott, if he started for the Eagles this year, he might have flamed out. You yeah. know, everyone might have given up on him. But now that he's actually had a chance to kind of like work in, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Work behind yeah, the. We've we've discussed. He's afforded every margin for error. L- look at, you know, with the exception maybe of Eli Manning, who the Giants obviously gave up a lot to get, and and you know, that year in '04. Oftentimes, quarterback, young quarterbacks succeed. A, coming out of nowhere, relatively speaking. Obviously, Brady is the most off-sighted and probably the most extreme example of that. Um, but you have Prescott this year. Um, and even apart from not from coming out of nowhere, I mean, Joe Montana was even a third-round pick going back to the, the late 70s and early 80s. But apart from that, w- what you find is quarterbacks who are drafted by a team that didn't have to give up much to get him find themselves in often in good situations in that, you know, look at Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco is considered, you know, and I believe me, I know your your appreciation for Joe and what he's accomplished <laughs> in his career. Um, I say that facetiously. But my point is, and, and we've said it before, like you get drafted by the Baltimore Ravens in the second half of but the I first think, yeah, round. I think that's fine. You know, you, you are better positioned for success because you have a better team around you, relatively speaking, and that in turn will help you develop as a quarterback. Um, you know, same thing with Aaron Rodgers, you know, Aaron Rodgers gets picked 24th overall, goes to a team that's already a playoff team, sits for a while, and then he takes over and things are in place for him within a year's time to put them in position to be a playoff team and eventually a Super Bowl winning team. I agree with you that Lurie failed, um, in that the superstar quarterback can come out of nowhere and you have to take that into consideration when you decide We've got to get a quarterback. Uh, you know, that's why, I, for instance, I wrote a column before the season comparing the Eagles quarterback situation to the New York Jets quarterback situation. And it looks laughable now because the Jets are such a mess and, you know, they're, they're awful and their quarterback situation is bad. They're, they're on their fourth quarterback of the year. But in theory, what the Jets did was smart in that they had four quarterbacks on the roster and in doing so, in drafting, they didn't give up anything to draft any of them. It's not like they moved up, you know, huge, you know, gave away huge amounts of talent. They to gave acquire. up a second round pick for Christian Hackenberg. Yeah, they gave up a second round pick That's for a Christian Hackenberg. But my point is, we're saying that because we've seen a lot of Hackenberg and we think he's not very good. But in theory, mm-hmm. drafting a Hacken, drafting a quarterback in the second round, you know, moving up in the into the fourth round to get Bryce Petty. And then having a veteran in Ryan Fitzpatrick and even, uh, you know, still young guy in Geno Smith, are your odds better there 
than they are in targeting just the one guy like the Eagles did and giving up so much to get him. Because while I would argue clearly Carson Wentz is better and probably going to be better than any of those four guys, they're still relatively in the same place right now. Yeah. And there's no guarantee that the Eagles are going to get to where they want to go in large part because they gave up so much to get Carson Wentz. Yeah, I think like I think almost what it comes down to is that if you have a front office that's good at drafting, you're going to build a team that eventually gets a good quarterback because you're going to need less of a quarterback to put into that good team. Like take right. Alex Smith, or you're going to be, or you're going to be more apt to find somebody in the third, fourth, right. fifth round who turns out to be a diamond like in that, the rough. Right. Yeah. The problem with the, e- but I'll also say this that, and this is why I don't have a ton of respect for that the strategy that the Eagles used was because it was the, it was a strategy that anybody any Joe off the street could mm-hmm. have come in and executed. This, like the same that was always my problem with you know Ruben Amaro Jr.'s time with the Phillies where he he paid at the top of the market for every right guy he signed. Like yeah, he brought these guys in, but like they weren't shrewd moves. It was right. just saying like okay, tell me what the best offer for Holiday is and I'll Matt, I'll, I'll right. exceed it. You know, right. anybody, literally anybody can do that. Right. There's a difference between that and and seeing Jason Worth in the Dodgers farm system like Pat right. Gillick did and saying there's a viable player there. Right. Let's go get him. Or even saying like that's too much, like saying no to, yeah. to, to a deal and saying that's too much. Mm-hmm. Like that takes that yeah. takes expertise too. It, it does not take expertise to be the highest bidder anywhere, right. which is part of my problem with our president. But anyway, um, <laughs> or our president elect. Um, you know, I just don't think that like I think the the fact that he has a billion dollars doesn't necessarily mean he's a good businessman. Right. It just means that, you know, he could he up he had capital and he invested it and he could outbid. It. Mm-hmm. Look at this way. Maybe that was a bad example, but <laughs> the fact of the matter is, just because you acquire assets mm-hmm. that turn out to be good assets doesn't mean you were smart in acquiring them. I guess is what I'm saying. It just means that you had the money to pay the price that was asked. Okay. Fair. Um, so I think with the Eagles, what's concerning is that, A, but it was also, if somebody is self-aware enough to know that they're not very good at their job, then it was also might be the smartest strategy for survival because if you, you can't, say at least if, you you can't if, you, if you're not, organi- no, but if you're not an organization builder, mm-hmm. the easiest way to get your team to like, decent competitiveness is to find a quarterback. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I yeah. guess what I'm saying is like, look at the picks the Eagles gave up. What was the first, second, third rounder? Mm-hmm. Like if you trade, if, if you were going to use those picks, if, if trading those picks is the same as trading a package of Nelson Aguilar, Eric Rowe, and even Jordan Hicks mm-hmm. for Carson Wentz, you know, along with Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell. Well, yeah, then that looks like a good deal, but Guys who are good at their job look at those picks and say, that's going to be... Right, that's too much. Antonio Brown, right. you know, uh, Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, Dak Prescott. Right. Or Ezekiel, like, the Cowboys are a great example. It's right. The parallel between these two teams are yeah. awesome because the Cowboys essentially had the draft the Eagles decided not to have in order to move up to get Wentz. Whereas the Cowboys would look at it as saying, we would have had to trade Ezekiel Elliott... You know, mm-hmm. right. say an offensive lineman, you know, ty- say Tyron mm-hmm. Hill. Try, uh, right. Tyrone Hill. I just called it uh, Tyron Smith, Tyron Hill. <laughs> so that's why I give, Yeah, I've talked myself into giving Howie now a fail. 
Ah, just but in the last it's seven a fail minutes. by proxy because I don't yeah. know if it was his agenda. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know either. And and I also think that, you know, and we've discussed this. I think there were other considerations at work. I think the Eagles, I think Laurie in particular, um, wanted to make a splash at the quarterback position. I think he felt like one of the reasons he didn't like Chip was this idea of no stars on the team. Uh, that you know we're going to get rid of our you know colorful guys and and right, but I think that's a failing consideration. I agree, I agree. But my point is that's part of the re- that that was the motivation that you know part of the motivation that went into moving up for Wentz is he's young, he's smart, he's affable, he presents himself well, and if he turns out to be the quarterback we think he is, then we've got the guy on the Wheaties box, so to speak, uh, for the next ten years. All right, enough about the Eagles, Brian Colangelo, because. Mm. I want to hear your thoughts on him. Um, I don't really have thoughts on him. All right. Um, if if we're if we're dealing with him strictly for, I think he passes, but barely. I think, I think the 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 signings he made in the off season at the time were smart ones. Henderson, Jared Bayless, uh, Sergio Rodriguez. I think they were smart because they were, you know, short term, relatively low cost signings. Uh, you know, good, solid veteran guys who, if Ben Simmons had been healthy, uh, would be fitting in a lot better than things would be fitting in now. Um, Sergio Rodriguez shouldn't be a starting point guard in the NBA. Jared Bayless has since obviously gotten hurt and is going to miss the rest of the season. That's The Sixers have been hit by some bad luck in that regard. So at the time, I have no issue with the signings that Colangelo made. I think his big mistake has been, was one, not moving either Nerlens Noel or Julio Okafor during the offseason. Um, and B, if you're not going to do that, don't tell everybody that you're going to move, that your goal is to move one of them. Yeah, I didn't understand that. Um, you know, I know, look, I've, I've had this discussion with, with other, with readers and other people in the media. Yeah, every other NBA team can look around at the Sixers and see Joel Embiid, Jaleel Okafor, and Nerlens Noel and say to themselves, well, the Sixers have to move one of those guys, so Brian Colangelo has no leverage one way or another. And I, my response to that is, number one, whether you have no leverage or not, you never reveal you know, what your intentions are. It's the old, you know, to make another Godfather reference, you're going you're gonna to laugh at me, um, but it's, it's uh, you know, Vito Corleone telling Sonny, don't ever let anyone outside the family know what you're thinking again. You know, and Carlangelo did that. He basically said on draft night, we're trying to get roster balance, which I think was a tactical mistake. But even then, if you're still rebuilding this thing, why do you necessarily immediately have to say you want to trade one of those guys? I think he should have, but he could have made it viable to, to kind of present the idea of, hey, we're going to figure this thing out. Now you're trying to figure it out, and you've created a situation where... Uh, Nerlens Noel isn't happy, uh, and Joel Embiid is not really happy all the time because he can see the writing on the wall, and he I think he knows that he'd be better off playing with Nerlens Noel than Jaleel Okafor, and he wants to get to playing with Nerlens Noel. So, um, you know, I give him a passing grade, but barely. Barely. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think there's not enough information at this point. I mean... Like, what's he really done? Acquired Ilyosova? Yeah, that was a good move. I thought that was a good move. And, but and it was also a very Sam Hinkie move, you know? It, I mean, that's essentially a second-round draft pick they got mm-hmm. for Jeremy. This was yeah. for Jeremy Grant. And, yeah. And, uh, although, I guess tra- trading Jeremy Grant isn't necessarily a Sam Hinkie move. Yeah. But it, yeah. I think, I think, I think actually, you know what? That, that's a, it's, it's a move that you brought Jerry Colangelo in to make to say, 
you know, instead of, you know, keeping 22 year old Jeremy Grant around, mm-hmm. you know, on the off chance that he turns into he something turns great, into something, why don't we bring in a player who has been a, who has helped make this team a lot more productive than oh, yeah. it would have been, I would say. With, oh, I, li- I like Ilya Silva. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's been better than I thought he was going to be. And, um, you know, has, I mean, they still need a ton more outside shooting, but he's been better at that than really kind of he had been, I think, um, throughout his career. And what's interesting about it now is that I think, you know, people are going to judge Brian Colangelo on, on whether he moves Noel and or Okafor and what he gets for them. But as we said earlier in the podcast, Embiid is so good, and if he stays healthy, could be so great, that he might be able to move either of both of those guys and not have it matter much, and not get much back, and not have it matter very much. Just move them for the sake of moving them. Now, I'd be more inclined to do that with Okafor than I would with Noel, because I think Noel is more valuable to the Sixers for what he would do in the defensive end. I just think, you know, Okafor is, it's not a fit here in any regard. Um, But, and, you know, that's just me, but I think you could trade either one of those guys, and if Embiid continues on this upward arc, you could get back another, you know, two or three T.J. McConnells, and it's okay as long as it clears space for Joel Embiid to play 30 minutes a night. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm there. I, I'm definitely in the minority on this, and this is one of those, you know, you, that opinion that you just shared is one that kind of transcends the generational divide, the Hinkyites, and, mm. the, and the, you know, everyone wants Okafor out of here. Uh, and I, you know, it, it's tough to run an offense with the two. I understand all the the problem is I. You just you don't like the look of Nerlens Noel's game. No, 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 no. It's just it, it's more about negotiations where mm. it's like everyone want, wondered why the Phillies did not trade Cole Hamels the one trade deadline. They're like, mm-hmm. why are you hanging on to him? And I think the Phillies made a conscious decision that we think we can get the best offer we have on the table at next year's trade deadline. Mm. So why not why not wait wait and see if we get a better one. Mm-hmm. Like I think the Sixers have know what the best. I, I think they know what Joel Okafor's market price is now, and they think that it's going to be the same as it is next year, mm-hmm. you know? So why not wait and see if the market changes? Um, you know, instead of selling, sure, that's possible. Instead of selling oil futures, you know, mm-hmm. five years ago or buying oil futures five years ago, wait five years, yeah. you know, we'll see. I mean, I, the, 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 the X factor in that is if things, I mean, and it sounds crazy to say this cause they still have the worst record in the NBA, but if things really go bad to the <laughs> point where, um, They've you already know, won more games than last year. Yeah, they? <laughs> they've won seven. They won ten all of last oh. year. Um, but if you know, if, if things change, I mean, the way things look now, I'm not sure how. Yeah, the market may change, but I'm not sure the value of Okafor no, changes. I understand. You know, um, because yeah, I think got, they're hoping. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because they're going to have multiple first round picks this year coming up. You know, they're going to get the Lakers pick. There's a possibility they get the Kings pick. They'll have their own pick. So the roster is going to keep changing. And the question of whether, you know, Okafor is going to be around for that, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know that the market necessarily for him, you know, gets better. Has, has, what is Embiid's minutes, quote unquote, restriction right now? Do you know? Uh, what is it? Is it still 25? I don't know. But so here's, here's a question. In, in his first 14 games of the season, he averaged 22 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And since November, 23rd he's averaging 27. this internet's very slow 27 minutes per game he's okay, averaging so five 25 more is night that he's yeah. averaging five more minutes a game 
over the last month has his minutes restriction changed or or is it is it just steadily ticking upward no i think it's it's the latter i think it's probably steadily ticking upward um which is fine this is what that's what you want you know i mean i i don't want him i don't want him uh you know throwing the lead block in a double reverse either but there's nothing wrong with playing him and you know letting him do what he can do for as long as he can do it no although i will say this the fact that his low block game really needs to they got to figure out a way to get him down there more often yeah. like i get that he's i like his his sh- outside shooting mm-hmm. and his fade away but i think that that part of his game is always going to be there yeah and what's going to determine if he really lives up to his like hall of fame potential is if he can you know is when he gets that right back to the basket julio okafor type game yeah essentially. I, I wonder how much of the accent on the outside game lately is because the sixers are so bad on the perimeter mm-hmm. that you know i mean he's their best three-point shooter he's <laughs> he gets to the basket better than their guards do you know i i wonder if how much of that is just hey let's let joel be joel and you know, once we get a point guard and once we get a, an actual shooting guard and some other guys to spread the floor, then, okay, Joel, now get on the low block. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What up, Brett Brown? What grade would you give him? Um, or pass, fail, and is he here five years? I don't think he's here in five years. Um, I think he is, again, passing. I, I, I'm teetering between passing and incomplete. Uh, I, I understand the argument about... What does he have to work with? I get that. Um, but he's also, I think he's kind of shown himself over the last couple of weeks to be, uh, if, his, if his primary role is to be the face and the voice of the franchise, which doesn't seem to have changed much from the Hinky regime to the Colangelo regime, uh, then he's got to be better at that. If I'm going to judge him on what he's been, then he's got to be better at that. Um, I think the the kind of cross messaging of we're going to sit Nerlens Noel. He's not really bench, but we're sitting him. But we still love Nerlens, and you know we're going to bring him back in. I think, uh, and I still wonder about his in game coaching. Yeah, I know he doesn't have a whole lot to work with, but I've seen enough you know of the same patterns repeating themselves where teams come out in the second half and just blitz the Sixers and there's nothing the Sixers can do to stop it. The Sixers are within a point or two at the end of a game and the sets they run just look, you know, like a CYO coach drew them up. Uh, you know, I would say incomplete at this point. So, Phillies, Klentek, is there anything different you would do in no. his first year? No, I would not. I, I, I don't have an issue with what they've done. I really don't. Um, you know, I know there's this perception that they should be big money franchise should be out spending money as you mentioned i think that'd be foolish at this point um they're playing a long game here i get it um i like the fact he's accumulated the number of arms he has i think it increases the likelihood that one of these guys you know if it if it's not aaron nola maybe it's vince velasquez if it's not valence velasquez maybe it's zach efflin maybe you get something productive out of clay buckholz or jeremy hellickson it can turn them around into something else um I, i like the way they're going about this um you know, I don't have an issue. I give them a, a B, B minus. What year are you expecting them to be competitive? Um, hey, competing for a, a legitimate division title. 2019, 2020. I, th- okay. I think 2018 is, is okay, you should be around closer to 500. Um, you know. Yeah, I say, you know, I said 2020 back when I was first beginning to chronicle the downfall of uh, Rome. 
And I think I got a little more optimistic over the last couple of years and said t- maybe 2018. But I think 2020 was always the most realistic yeah. projection. I think that might be to, ultimately might have been what Pat Gillick settled on. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. When yeah. he made whatever his public proclamation was. Pete McCannon, obviously, you know, you can't. I mean, he's got a pass given what. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Yeah. I mean, especially because he's. um he has an actual personality compared to his predecessor. I think that's important mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're being a baseball manager. I think that's probably the most important thing. Um, you know, all strategic dis- in-game decisions aside, we all like to play that game of like, why didn't he bring in the lefty here? And why did he pinch it for this guy there? The most important thing a baseball manager does is kind of keep guys wanting to play hard every day um, and creating an environment where guys want to do that. And I think he's done that. Hextall, Hextall. Like him, but like both of them, like what they've done. Um, I think I give Ron Hextall a lot of credit for sticking to his plan of taking time, you know, and, and tweaking it where necessary. I think his instincts would have been to say, keep Travis connecting and Ivan Provorov um, down in junior or in the minors. Um, and I think he was flexible enough to say, you know what, we need these guys right now. Uh, they're ready to play and they've shown that they are. And I like Dave Hextall as a coach. Um, you know, I like the fact that that Hextall was willing to go outside the box to hire him two years ago. Um, so I, I give them both B's. I think the Flyers are exceeding expectations. Um, you know, they're, they're doing about as well as you could hope they could do at this stage of their rebuild. We're going to have a podcast where you just talk like, hockey for tell, tell me everything that I don't know about. <laughs> like Provorov and Konechny, like where are they right now? Well, Provorov is probably their best defenseman all around at age 19. And in terms 20. of potential... Within In terms of potential, like within the league, like a top five defenseman. Nice. Um, and what's interesting about the league now is that defensemen have become the most important players on the ice, even more so than goalies. Um, you know, you've probably heard that the the Flyers for years and years were trying to find a franchise goalie. It was the only thing keeping them from winning the Stanley Cup. But what's funny about the NHL now is that goalies, for the most part, are um, – it's almost like they came off an assembly line. They're all at least six feet tall. They're all bigger and more athletic than they've ever been. And the the statistical benchmarks by which you measure the position, save percentage, things like that, are more bunched together than they've ever been. The difference between a mediocre goalie and a tremendous goalie is smaller now than it was 15, 20 years ago. So that would seem to work to the Flyers' advantage in that uh, if you build a terrific team around – you know, I don't want to say run-of-the-mill goalie, but just a solid goalie, your chances of competing for a championship are pretty good. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Their their main goalie right now, Steve Mason, is in the last year of his contract, uh, and they've got some prospects in the pipeline You know, who look, who look really good, really promising. Um, so the question is, do you re-sign Steve Mason? Do you allow one of these prospects to kind of come up and learn as you go? Um, I think that's the big question they got to answer this year. Yourself, personally, what are you doing for New Year's Eve? Uh, get together with uh, friends of ours, uh, a couple who I've known since my first day at LaSalle University, uh, two of our best friends. So we go to their house with the kids and eat and drink and, you know, probably leave just before the ball comes down because the five-year-old and the two-year-old can't stay awake for uh, Ryan Seacrest. How about you? Neither can the 34-year-old. <laughs> what are you doing? Last year was the first year I was asleep before the ball dropped, I think. Mm. I- New Year's Eve is the amateur hour. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. 
Yeah, I like it now because we have. This I enjoy tradition. going. Yeah, I, we have this tradition, so I, we really enjoy. I'd much it, rather but, do what you're doing. Yeah, minus having to take care of kids yeah, afterwards. I get it. <laughs> uh, but what about professionally? Do you have anything? Uh, your concussion, sto- your concussion column uh, generated some some, yeah, was, some buzz. It was it, good. I like. I thought it was good. I like the concept very much. Thanks. Um, professionally, let me see. Um, I'm working on another. Did uh, you get a lot of feedback from that? I or? got a decent amount. You know, it was, it was Christmas, so nobody's like yeah. reading stuff, so that hurts. Um, see, so the one thing that did jump out at me, and I'm curious about, which is the concussion issue. I'm I'm curious about. Like they had, the one family said like. Even before football, the kid had fallen down and hit his head and wasn't diagnosed with a concussion, concussion when maybe he should be. So does right. football get a bad rap if this you is know, happening? Like, I, this was always my thing with, like, like and I think it, you kind of took, took a good narrative illustration of the concept that I've always kind of harped on, which is it's not as easy as saying don't let kids play tackle football. You have to keep them, you have to consider what they're going to be playing if they're not playing tackle right. football. And, like, Dude, these you ever see kids run around like they, they need helmets just to like walk yeah. through the grocery store? Right, you know? exactly. No, it's interesting you say that because some of the feedback I have gotten has been from parents of kids who don't play football who say that, hey, we deal with the same kind of questions and choices because our daughter plays soccer or our son, you know, uh, wants to do um, extreme sports or something like that. And it's like, well, okay, don't. Yeah, I think your point is well taken about football getting a bad rap in that. Oh well. That's where all the focus is because of the NFL. But as you said, what are do you want kids just sitting there playing video games? You know, because they're going to get concussions in hockey, they're going to get concussions in soccer, they're going to get concussions in a lot of other things that kids do. So, what's the answer? All right, question back at you. What are you working? What's coming in 2017 for High Cheese? It's a great question. I don't know. I have to look into the mirror when I get home and. We we should talk about this next week after yeah. I've had a chance to reflect. That's a good idea. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm still in, in reflection mode. Okay. Um, Some deep thoughts. We'll come with our de- we'll come with our resolutions and discuss. I will I, say I this. I think it's a good idea. Little yeah. little hashtag movie talk before yeah. we go. I rewatched last night uh, a most violent year. Did you see that? I've never seen oh, that. No. no. Tremendous movie. Highly recommend it. Who's in it? Oscar Isaac. Okay. The guy from Ex Machina and. Uh, Ex Machina, mm-hmm. Machina. I don't know how to. Yeah, deuce I, I have not seen play it. Play on Deuce Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the guy. Uh, he's like a. You should know this. I'm surprised you don't. No. Besides I, the fact that he didn't star in any 80s movies. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a. It's a very 80s. I mean, it's very 80s. Uh, I'm surprised you haven't seen it because it's like somewhat an homage to. Uh, it's very eighty-ish. It's set in the eighties. Oh, you know what? I do know this. I know of the movie. I, I now that I now I that feel I'm like you would enjoy it. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, it's it's tough to talk about if if you haven't seen it. Okay, but I would. Re- why don't let be? Why don't you let that be your homework, homework assignment. assignment? I'll find it and um, watch it, and we'll just. He was in that movie, the HBO movie, Show Me a Hero, which was also an eighties, uh, an eighties thing. Okay, I but it's actually H- like I don't get HBO because I'm lame. Well, yeah. All right, I'll give you my password at some okay. point. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, you know, we couldn't have done it without you. Thanks for listening whatever, all year. Whatever we did. <laughs> I think we figured our audio issues out. Um, but feel free to let me know. Oh, he was in Inside Llewellyn Davis, Oscar Davis. Oh, Oscar, okay. Uh, Llewellyn da- Inside Llewellyn Davis, yeah. I, I think it's Llewellyn. 
Is it Llewellyn? I think you, put Llewellyn? Extra, you put an extra syllable in there. Okay. L L E W L. You know who Llewellyn is? Llewellyn is the is the main character in another Coen Brothers movie, No Country for Old Men. And he makes yoga pants, right? Yes, he does. Or is that Lululemon? I have no idea. This is off the rails. All right. Later. Really? You've never heard of Lululemon? No.